Hey, what's going on everyone? Hope everyone is doing well. Um, during the Facebook Live today, let me see, I've got some notes here. Maybe until one or two other people show up. All right, hello everyone. Um, who do we got here? Lokish? I don't know if I pronounced your name correctly. Hopefully I did. It's good to see everyone. Uh, so today, Christopher, good to see you, man. Hope you're doing well. Ray, awesome to see you here. Hope you're doing well. Uh, so you guys, today we're gonna be covering, uh, yes, thank you. Lokish, good to see you, man. Uh, so today we're gonna be covering um, core development and the difference between uh, picking exercises that isolate the core versus picking exercises that integrate the core. And there are plus and minuses to each system. And we're basically gonna go over that system today, okay? Uh, so just right off the bat, you guys, with ab development, I get a tremendous amount of questions, people asking like, oh, how do I you know, have ripped abs? Or how do I even just have a flat midsection more over like ripped abdominals, et cetera, et cetera. And remember, the most important thing for having ripped abs or just very visible abs is just having like a low body fat percentage, which is basically reliant on nutrition and lifestyle. And we're gonna skip that today, although it is the most important part in developing ripped abs because we covered that in so many other videos. If you would like a link to those videos, just comment below and uh, once we finish, the Facebook Live, I'll send you a link to how to incorporate the lifestyle and nutrition part into um, ab development. So remember, no matter how many ab exercises you're doing, no matter how well your routine is structured, if you even have like a very thin layer of body fat, it's gonna be covering those abs, okay? Even if it's like a half millimeter, for example, because a half a millimeter is quite a bit, so it's sitting on top of the abdominals and you're not gonna be able to see those striations or the division between the external oblique and the rectus abdominis, for example, or those individual kind of stacked muscles uh, on the rectus ab uh, abdominis, okay? So let's go ahead, let me take a look at my notes here. Okay, so remember, in terms of body fat percentages, what kind of body fat percentage do you need to actually start having visible abs? So first and foremost, you have to, in my opinion as a male, like at least be at 10% or below to really have abs start showing. I'm, I'm not talking about just having a flat midsection. With a flat midsection, you probably get away with uh, 12 to 15% depending on how your body proportions are established. But just to give you an idea, I'm about 15%, like 15, 16%. I haven't had it done in a while, but I've been dealing with fat loss clients for already like 14, 15 years, I can probably guess pretty accurately what a person's body fat percentage is just by looking at them. So 15% is, is not lean at all. I'm not bragging here. I'm just kind of giving you a reference point. 15% is this, 20% uh, is overweight and 25% or above is obese, okay? And most people in America are probably like 25-ish percent or somewhere around that area. So. If you want a, a firm midsection, you gotta be at about 12% or so. Everyone is a little different, obviously. Yep, so what do abs look like now at 15? They don't, it's just flat. I don't have any abs, basically. Uh, however, my abs, for example, looked really chiseled, uh, really ripped. I would need to be at like 
seven, six percent, okay, which I was maybe at one or two portions of my life, all right? Uh, so I've been there and usually to, to get it to the point of where even like your abs, for example, look like they have abs, I personally need to be at like 6%, somewhere around there. But then it's always a trade-off because you need to be like, you need to start at a very heavy weight or be extremely muscular to get down to that body fat percentage without looking too skinny. Because then there's a trade-off, you know what I mean? You lose size like everywhere else after a certain point and your abs might look great but then your overall physique just looks very lean and depleted, especially if you're very tall. So body fat percentages, I mean, look at it this way. Uh, flat midsection, 12-ish percent. Of course, these are all averages, okay? Uh, if you wanna really start seeing the definition and edging in the details, 10% or below. If you really wanna be super ripped, um, basically I would say like 6%, 7%, somewhere around that number, okay? And I'm currently 15% if you guys wanna use that as a, as a reference point, okay? So let's, uh, let's kind of break down a few things. Let me look at my notes here. So what ab exercises are there to do? I get a lot of questions, um, especially with this one. They're like, what's the best exercise for your abs? And I would say it, re it really doesn't matter for the most part, okay? Because the most important thing when, when developing an ab routine or choosing ab exercises is not so much exactly what exercise you pick in particular, and let me kind of clarify that. It's more over how you integrate it into a comprehensive program. So on average, what you want to think of is like, a, like say, a 16-week program you first have to identify your goal. Let's say your goal is to build muscle and, and get ripped. So you wanna be kind of like on a hypertrophy type program. And how it breaks down is basically like a pyramid scheme. And you have like a macro cycle at the top. So a macro cycle is basically your 16 week period. And that macro cycle is broken down into two blocks of uh, two mesocycles each. So for example, on the first block, you have an accumulation phase. You always start like a program, typically with an accumulation phase, and then you progress into an intensification phase, which lasts about four weeks. Then you go back into an accumulation phase, then you finish with an intensification phase. So all those things are important to remember. It's not so much which ab exercise you pick, but moreover how you incorporate it into an integrated routine based on what you're capable of, where you are currently, and uh, what you need to do to achieve your goal, okay? So kind of look at the broader picture instead of like, what ab exercise, because if I tell you like, oh, you know, I personally, for the most part, just do wood chops these days, like variations of different wood chops. We'll cover that in a little bit. But by me telling you that, it doesn't really, it doesn't really give you any information because it's like, why am I doing wood chops? Is that gonna be right for you? Like if you have, you know, sheer intolerance in your lower back, those exercises will cause you pain. I currently don't have that. I did at one point uh, because of being silly and injuring myself, but I currently don't have that. But if I did that back then post-injury, you know, shortly post-injury, that would cause me pain. So you have to know all of these details and you have to know how to integrate all this information into a comprehensive program uh, instead of just like, oh, you know, just do like wood chops. Okay, but how many sets? How many reps? How many times a week? Where in the program? Do I do it in the beginning, in the middle, in the end of my uh, microcycle, or uh, workout in general? All these things are very, very important, okay? Thank you. What do we got here? Billy, George, good to see you. Greg, so is it true your abs can be worked exercise every day? Let's cover that next, okay? So Greg, 
He asked if it's true that you can train your core every single day. Even if it's, let's first cover like even if it's necessary. So the next topic uh, is gonna be exercise selection. So let's say you identified your goal, you set up your macro cycle, you set up your mesocycles, you set up your whole entire routine, uh, plus you got the whole entire lifestyle into consideration, etc., etc. And let's go ahead and, and cover what exercise to do. But before we do that, let's first go over, you know, the general anatomy of the core so we know what's going on. Uh, typically, there are like two brackets of different kind of quote-unquote quote, quote core muscles. So there are the inner unit muscles, which basically help like stabilize your spine. And that's going to be the diaphragm, the multi-ifidi, uh, the transverse abdominis, and the pelvic floor muscles as well. And I would even argue the inner unit core muscles. I would also include the lats here and also your external glute rotations here, okay? Uh, because those all also help stabilize the pelvis, which helps stabilize the core. Because I have this dummy here, let's bring him out here. And that way I can show you guys a little bit. So, check this out, guys. So we have like a skeleton here, okay? And what's the whole point of your abs? or your midsection or your core, whatever you want to define it. What's the whole point? Aesthetically, it looks nice. Obviously, there's that aesthetic aspect, especially when your body fat is nice. It really gives you a good flow between your upper and lower body. It's a really good connection point that gives you that aesthetic appeal. But functionally, and we have to know the function of it because once we know the function and what they actually do, we'll be able to know which exercises to select that actually do that. Instead of just kind of randomly, Adolfo, good to see you, man. Hope everything's well instead of just kind of like randomly picking random exercises. So in short, your core is basically responsible for stabilizing the body. A lot of muscles, like for example, the bicep, they move limbs, but the core, is its predominant function is to stabilize movement. So for example, if your core didn't, let's say for some reason it didn't exist or something like that, even when you kind of like push someone, for example, just as an example, you'll actually be pushed back because there's nothing stabilizing you. I forgot who made this example. It's definitely not mine. Uh, I just forgot exactly who made it. But let's say you have like a canoe and you put a cannon, cannon on top of the canoe and you fire it. Obviously, you know, that canoe is going to go way back. It's not going to be stabilized, you know. Uh, and that's what happens when you don't have like a functional core. You don't have stability. And more importantly, you don't have joint stability in pretty much anywhere in the, in the spine, but in particular also the lower back, okay? Uh, because as you can see here, the back, uh, which is divided into three different portions, we have the uh, cervical, thoracic, and lumbar regions. Uh, basically, without the supporting muscle tissue, without the core, they can't really handle that much load outside of axial loading. So these vertebrae, here, which are divided into basically three different parts. You have the vertebral body. We covered this in a lot of other videos, so I'm not gonna go into depth here. Always just check those out. I mean, we have the vertebral body, then we have the pedicle, which kind of connects the vertebral body to these posterior elements here. And the posterior elements are composed of a few different parts, but basically what we have going on here is these vertebrae, they're like two rocks stacked on top of each other. If you have like axial loading, like putting pressure directly on top of that, they'll be able to sustain a lot of load, no doubt. However, the only issue is 
Remember, the spine needs to be dynamic. It needs to like sustain load through a variety of ranges of motion, not just axial loading. You're not just kind of like wearing a backpack, for example, okay? You have to do a lot more during your day and definitely a lot more on your higher demands in a gym or in a sport. So what do they rely on? They rely on the outer unit core muscles and also the inner unit core muscles. So we mentioned the inner unit is basically the transverse, uh, transverse abdominis. So it, it's like a sheet of muscle that goes horizontally around the whole entire midsection here. Uh, we also have the diaphragm. We also have the pelvic floor muscles as well. And we have the multi which basically extend its, uh, extends its way throughout the entire spine. And basically it's part of the intrinsic muscle groups, okay, with, with the rotatories as well. And they're responsible for basically like stabilizing the spine and also actually counter-rotating uh, the force of the obliques because the way the obliques are originated, uh, kind of originate and insert, if the multi-ifidae didn't exist and you contracted your obliques, what happens is you would just kind of go like this. You wouldn't be able to do a strict twist like this. You would not be able to do that if it wasn't for the multi-ifidae, okay? And the multi-ifidae help counter those forces and allow you to basically participate in a strict uh, twist throughout the transverse booster. So question for you, natural bodybuilding for years, personal trainer, natural for years, a personal trainer, how can I get lower gluten from at my age, 58? Let me see, I'm trying to read your comment here, uh, Greg. Yeah, so uh, Greg, we covered like fat loss quite a bit in other videos. Um, I will send you a link to a few of them right after I do the live, like sometime later today maybe. Uh, and that'll help clarify because that's like a really huge loaded question. Uh, definitely if squats are causing you pain, you don't have to do them. They're not an absolute necessity um, in a program. Although like one thing I would definitely say is um, you would have to evaluate, you know, like why is it causing knee pain? Oftentimes, usually uh, the person is surpassing their biological tipping point during the exercise, pushing them to themselves too hard, or sometimes the technique is just not good. Oftentimes, nine out of 10 times, you might not fit into this nine out of 10 times, you might be the one out of 10. It's just kind of poor technique, poor mechanics, especially combined with sitting a lot all day which uh, increases your risk of injury during any compound, complex compound movements, such as the barbell back squat or the barbell front squat, for example. We'll be covering a few compound movements in the, in the discussion today, okay, uh, in a little bit. Uh, but basically, I think I was talking about the, uh, yes, inner unit muscles, and then we have a lot of outer unit muscles as well. So we have, for example, the internal external obliques, quadratus limborum, uh, rectus abdominis, that's the famous one. That's what people associate with like the six-pack abs look, for example. Uh, we mentioned, I think, the quadratus lumborum, soleus major minor. They're like deeply embedded, like systemically throughout the lumbar spine and kind of insert themselves into the femur here. And um, pretty sure I'm missing some, forgetting some off the top of my head. But all those muscles work together to basically stabilize the spine and create stability. So 
Now we know the function of them, and let's cover, I'm gonna move this guy really quick out of the way. Let me see what else is on our notes here. Let's cover, so we covered the anatomy. So let's cover what exercise, let's get to the good stuff, okay? Let's cover what exercise we need to do. So we have a few choices. And here's, here's the basic trade-off. So we have like, what, what do we do? Do we isolate the abs or do we integrate the abs into complete total body movements? And uh, there, are, there is a case for everything, okay? So first of all, I'm not, I used to do a lot of isolation movements in the past. I kind of stay away from them now. I incorporate the movement into an integrative process. And what that means is you incorporate your core into the total movement itself instead of specifically isolating the core. So there are some situations where isolating the core is fine. So for example, if a person can't even activate their TVA, and you can do a couple of different tests for this, but one of the main ones is kind of ask a person to stick out their stomach and then ask them to really tuck it in nice and deep. And if you see them kind of like, move their body, move their body, or just an inability to tuck in that core, you need to regress this person to be able to, at least be able to incorporate and uh, actually use their transverse abdominus, which is gonna help stabilize their lower back uh, before incorporating a lot more um, complicated movement. And you can do that, like I got this from the Czech Institute, but basically, uh, what you want to do is you can use one of these blood pressure cuffs and you lay the person on the ground and you basically put it under the belly button area, the navel area, and you have them uh, work on the pressure cuff. So in the sense of bringing their TVA in and they'll, they'll compress on the blood pressure cuff here and cause this to go up, which is kind of like a biofeedback mechanism. So the person, because oftentimes if they can't even do that, they just have no comprehensive ability to basically engage their muscles voluntarily. So you need some kind of biofeedback to be able to have some kind of objective way to measure if they're actually doing that or not. And I find just through good cueing and very basic cueing, it's very easy to teach a person to, to do this. And that basically sets the foundation. So that's more of like an isolated type exercise. Another isolated version, which I would definitely recommend is any ab crunch machines. That for sure, hands down, you want to stay away from. Because remember, the whole entire body is, is once again, like I always say in every video, I hate to be repetitive, but it's just so important. And a lot of people miss this part so much is, is the body is like a, it's like a system of systems. There's no like muscle group. It's all integrated and all works together to help you perform even the most simple of primal pattern movements. Like what are primal pattern movements? Primal pattern movements are very basic movements you need just to survive. Like you wouldn't even be able to survive without being able to do these things, such as a lunge. Like watch, eliminate a lunge or an inability to actually flex at the hips and all of a sudden you can't really do anything. A squat, okay, a bending pattern here. So a bending pattern to pick something up there. Okay, those are very simple, basic examples of primal pattern movements. And guess what? Those aren't actually leg exercises. They're total body exercises. You need literally every single muscle firing in synchrony as a team with one another to actually successfully accomplish that movement and be pain-free. The problem with isolation training and being too heavily focused on isolation or like bodybuilding, like traditional bodybuilding type training, which incorporates a tremendous amount of machines, 
is it kind of messes you up in two ways. First of all, it messes you up neurologically because now your body is, for example, uh, let's say you're on a seated row machine, you know, the plate loaded row machine where there's like a plate here and then you're rowing like this. Okay, but you're seated, right? The plate is here and then you're rowing like this. Okay, cool. Now your body is, or now your mind is learning how to contract its back without actually incorporating its inner unit muscles. Remember those inner unit core muscles that we mentioned before, the TVA, the multi the pelvic floor muscles, they all have to be firing to keep you upright and stable. And now what's happening is you're training your, your mind to contract its back without actually incorporating those inner unit muscles, which cre could create, with a long enough time frame, a cascade of problems with you neurologically to the point of where you can't actually stabilize your core, thus stabilizing your lower back during certain movements, which will inevitably lead to blowing out your lower back on an exercise and also lead to, if you're into sports, my page is more about aesthetics, for example, but I still do mountain climbing and stuff of that sort. But if you're into sports, I'll also not optimize your movement patterns because those are very important power producers because they help stabilize the, the whole entire body basically. And when your body stops connecting them or stops integrating them into the movement you're training, uh, all of a sudden uh, you will get injury, you will get injured and then also uh, just your performance isn't gonna be optimal. So for example, instead of doing that machine seated row, you would do a bent over barbell row which now incorporates that inner unit muscle and basically uh, allows you to train your body as one unit, having the core as the center of that unit. So like I always say, turn every exercise, try to turn as many exercises as possible into core exercises. So instead of doing a seated overhead dumbbell press, do a standing overhead dumbbell press or a standing overhead barbell press instead of a seated overhead barbell press. Uh, maybe not my favorite, but an option Maybe instead of a flat bench dumbbell bench press, do a dumbbell press on a stability ball. Just make sure it's very like well constructed and comes from a high quality company. Because then you're you're engaging pretty much everything in your body, okay? Where on a flat dumbbell press on a bench, you're basic for the most part, how people do it is they basically just engage their chest and they keep their core and butt completely relaxed. Although when I do it, I still do flat dumbbell presses on a bench, for example. I try to kind of keep my glutes engaged, my lats, my shoulders down and back, my lats engaged heavily, boom, core engaged, and turn that press into a total body movement. To once again, train your mind neurologically to be able to fire all those inner unit muscles in conjunction, in tandem with whatever movement you're trying to do. So, that's where integration comes in, becomes important, especially for long-term injury prevention. Now, having said that, integration without the proper instruction, without the proper coaching, and without the proper program is actually like a more dangerous form of exercise, okay? And uh, that's just how it is because a lot of times, like for example, to do a proper barbell back squat, uh, I mean, there's a lot of base conditioning that needs to be done to achieve that first. So for example, like a lot of people, very common is they have that upper cross syndrome, boom, lower cross syndrome where their butt's kind of sticking out like this, or maybe even 
uh, uh, posterior pelvic tilt, okay, where their back is completely exposed, you can't load that person with any weight without correcting those first because you're going to be loading pathology, basically, okay? And that usually, it's honestly not that tough to fix. It takes maybe like three, four weeks of base conditioning to be able to fix that and then probably work on some uh, ergodynamic stuff at their office or their work environment to help them kind of get away from that pathology, okay? But that needs to be done first and a lot of people are skipping that and jumping into the good stuff like a barbell back squat, uh, but they don't even know how to do a primal, matter, uh, primal pattern squat, for example, with just their body weight correctly uh, because they're sitting all day, which definitely uh, is gonna increase their injury in the gym through the roof. I don't even care if your technique is super solid. If you sit all day at work and you work out, especially lifting weights, like you're gonna get injured. Uh, it's just a matter of time, okay? So let's cover these guys. So integration. So we covered a lot of like isolation and we also covered the importance of why one should be integrating. Let me see these notes here. Okay. I'm just careful with my knees so I don't squat anymore. Just want to lower glutes firmer without doing squats. Yeah, so Greg, uh, barbell uh, hips, uh, hip thrusts are very good. They take all the pressure away from your knees. You're definitely not gonna be getting any kind of tension on your knees. And it's basically a great way to build density in your glutes, especially the gluteus maximus, that big part you're referring to, which is the lower part, and hamstring density as well. So kind of really building that good sweep and dense hamstring. Uh, you don't have to go heavy on that exercise, honestly. Uh, just very light is, is good enough. That's what I would do. Uh, a lot of people make the mistake of going way too heavy on that exercise and it creates a lot of like sheer loading in the lower back and it can cause, sure, you took the tension away from your knees, but now you're going to develop some back problems like a year down the line. So something for you to kind of gauge at, okay? But that exercise is a great substitute. And remember, if you have like flabby uh, glutes, you know, that's more to do with body fat than actually... Um, what exercises you're doing or not doing. Plus, for example, barbell squats, you guys, a lot of times people do barbell squats for glutes, but they're like not an effective exercise for glute development at all. A lot of people get that confused. They're actually like a quad development exercise. They're for your quads. Uh, the only way for you to really engage your glutes doing like a barbell back squat is to really hit that low range of motion that last one third of the movement. That's what's really gonna activate your glutes. The only problem is, is most people, me included, don't have the hip flexibility to be able to go that low without having a butt wink or excessive curvature of the lower back, uh, which once loaded, increases your chance of injury a tremendous amount. And you see this in gyms all the time. Like if you go to the gym today, You'll see someone in the squat rack, they're squatting super low, and what's happening is they're doing this. They're squat, 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 and you see, boom, you see how that butt curves in, and then they go back. With body weight, it's probably okay. When you load it, it's a tremendous amount of compressive penalties on the spine, and they will have a back injury, 100% guaranteed. It's just a matter of time. So remember, to get the glutes on the squats, you gotta go really low. 
But for a lot of people, they're not going to be able to do that, especially if you're sitting for like three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day. Most people are sitting for 10 plus hours a day if you consider the commute to work, plus like sitting and watching TV or hanging out on your phone at night. 100% will get injured. 100% will get injured in the gym and it happens all the time. Especially the most common uh, orthopedic injury is um, injury of the L5-S1 disc or L4-L5 disc, for example. Okay, you can't combine sitting all day with weightlifting. Terrible combo, especially sitting all day with weightlifting, doing compound lifts, especially doing compound lifts in a circuit manner like they do in a lot of CrossFit. And boot camp classes, okay, which typically office workers go to, which typically sit all day, which is a disaster. If I was a chiropractor or orthopedic surgeon, I would definitely just always open my business next to these guys because they'll provide an endless list of clients for you, okay? Uh, so, okay, integrate. Now, a few things with integration, you guys, you don't have to do too much core work in general, if you turn every exercise into a core exercise. So for example, instead of doing a seated overhead press, like we mentioned, do a standing overhead press. You're training your core already a tremendous amount. So you only have to supplement with certain core exercises. So for example, you do like an A series and a B series, and then a C series for a certain day of training. And then you just do like three sets of a specific ab exercise. And that's way more than enough, like twice a week. That's all I have my clients doing, honestly. I just have them training abs like for three to four sets twice a week. Um, and you can check out my page. There are a lot of transformations there and they have abs, you know, because the thing is it's, um, abs is more, once again, lower body fat percentage, okay? You don't need to train them to death. You don't need to do them every day, twice a week for like three to four sets a session. I find it's more than enough for the majority of my clients, okay? Uh, sometimes even once a week, because if you turn every exercise into a core exercise, you don't need to be doing so many core exercises. I, I hope you're getting it. So for example, like a barbell back squat is a core exercise. A barbell deadlift is a core exercise. Standing overhead dumbbell press is a core exercise because you're engaging, your core has to be engaged heavily to be able to keep your body upright uh, without falling over. One other thing I would do is also cue the person to voluntarily engage, you know, the, the core muscles as well and create that core brace, which helps as well. Uh, but for the supplementary motions, uh, I would work on integrating the exercise. So some exercises you definitely want to stay away from are crunches off the floor. That's disastrous. Don't do crunches off the floor. Uh, don't do any exercise where it's weighted, your hips are locked in place, and you're twisting. That's, uh, that basically replicates what you need to do to have a disc herniation, uh, to delineate the discs, the annulus fibrosis of the joint. So it's the vertebral disc here. You have, you know, it's composed of four different parts, superior, inferior, end plate. Uh, annulus fibrosis and then in the middle you have those gel-like substance called the nucleus propulsus and the annulus fibrosis is basically composed of you know 8 to 12 different laminates kind of like sheets of onions basically and as you're twisting under load in particular as you're twisting under load with your hips locked in place so for example on the floor doing those Russian twists with like a plate 
or um, a dumbbell, which I did in the past. I feel super stupid about it now. I just thought that's how you developed ab muscles and make your back strong. And sure, it will develop your ab muscles and make your back strong at the expense of damaging your, your discs, basically, okay, if you rely on those exercises too much. So I would stay away from kind of like isolating the core that way and work more on integrating total body movements into the core with a focus of core bracing. So what are some exercises that do that? So some exercises that do that are basically stir the pots. Okay, stir the pots. You guys can Google these, all right? I'm not gonna demo them here, but basically you're on a stability ball and you're doing these guys here. The whole point is you want to not flex your spine under load. That's the biggest thing. So if you kind of keep that in mind, you're actually fairly limited on what exercises are actually good for your lower back. Uh, what exercises are good for your lower back. The idea is you want to keep stiff and you want your core to engage. So what do we do? What do we do for that? We do stir the pots. That's one of my favorite exercises, okay? Uh, for more oblique dominant, internal and external obliques, I love my favorite movements are wood chops with the cable. You guys know what I'm talking about here. Boom, there are different variations. Low to high, middle, high to low. You could also do like a squat variation to twist. The main thing that I would recommend though is never twist with your hips locked in place. So a lot of people, they do this. You can see my hips aren't moving. Once again, that's creating that torsion, that twisting under load, which is once again a potent mechanism for um, disc herniation. So what you want to do to elevate that and still continue to do the exercise and benefit from it is you keep it stiff and you twist, boom, your entire core with your hips in accordance in one synchronized movement. And as you can see, the common theme between all these exercises, we're actually incorporating our entire body into the movement so you're neurologically efficient, your body knows how to contract its unit, inner unit, outer unit core muscles in tandem with the entire movement, which is how you perform movement in the real world. Because you never perform, you literally don't do this in the real world anywhere, okay? And you don't wanna neurologically mess yourself up by doing crunches on the floor, especially physiologically speaking. I mean, crunches on the floor put a tremendous amount of strain on the disc. There's a reason the US military got rid of it as a prerequisite for their testing. Instead, now they do like a, a plank, I believe. I'm not, I'm not sure about that, but I'm pretty sure that's what they do. So, George, good to see you. Any way to expand, any way to expand the spine to look tall? Is that healthy to extend the spine? Uh, let me see here. Lokesh. You don't want to extend the spine in terms of having traction. Like for example, you're probably referring to like laying upside down or on a table where they pull your spine together because the more traction you have, the less stability in the discs you have. So that's the more back pain you'll have. Um, you want stability. And when you're kind of creating traction and taking those vertebral bodies apart, the disc is losing that firmness and that stability. It's okay to do like park bench decompressions from time to time for a very short period of time, but you don't want to, um, you don't want to be doing that for prolonged periods of time. And on top of that, it doesn't really increase your aesthetics. What you, what you are probably referring to is you want good posture. That alone would make you a lot taller. Like, look, look at the difference here. You see? 
I pretty much gained about like two inches in height. And on top of that, just by standing straight, you look confident, your chest is broader and your shoulders are broader. And uh, it's just good mechanics because remember, all movement needs to start from a well-aligned spine. So that's what I spoke about in terms of the base conditioning programs that are important. So if you have a person that's, you know, forward head posture, forward shoulders, uh, anterior or posterior pelvic tilt or flat back or flat military neck, I mean, there are so many varieties of this, or sometimes you see this very often, a person's like this, you know, like especially office workers and they're stuck like this. You wanna correct all those things first so you have good postural alignment, and then they wanna be able to maintain that postural alignment during primal pattern movements. Like they, they need to be able to sustain stability during lunge, a squat, a push-up, a pull-up, a bending pattern, for example, before you start loading them with the bar. And if you actually did that test on the majority of people, I guarantee you 95% of people won't even uh, be able to lunge while keeping their core stable. You'll see this. That's what you're gonna see, okay? And in that case, you wanna definitely not be doing barbell back squats or barbell deadlifts with them. You wanna first teach them those primal pattern movements and then kind of go from there, okay? So, another thing with posture is remember with any kind of postural deviations, you have a group of tight muscles combined with a group of weak muscles. So you wanna strengthen the weak muscles and stretch and massage out the tight muscles. And then the spine will regain its natural, healthy curvature in the cervical, thoracic, and the lumbar region. And then you will look taller and also you will be able to prevent a lot of injury in the gym as well. So. Yeah, and then one more exercise integrated is just a roller is a really good, good exercise to do. Or like dead bugs for beginners or for eight. Dead bugs are very easy. They integrate the, uh, the body as well. So, okay, guys. So we covered a lot of important info today. We covered the relevance and importance of integrating your core into a total body movement instead of relying on isolation type exercises, okay? Um, and I would say that's just the general rule for weightlifting in general. So let me see if we got these guys. And just as a side note, the, the best thing you can do for your physical health just right off the bat is, is stop sitting all day. I always tell my clients, you got to get a standing desk and you have to not stand all day, but just distribute the loads throughout the day. So you stand for two hours then certain tissue becomes overloaded, then you go sit for two hours, you know? Then that then different tissue, that tissue that is overloaded kind of releases the pressure, goes into another muscle, you're kind of dissipating the pressure so no pressure is built up in any one tissue throughout your body. Because when there's a lot of pressure in any one tissue, it's brittle and prone to breaking, obviously. And then it always happens, you know, you get this person and they're like, oh, I just picked up a pencil off the ground and my back blew up, blew out. There are many red flags that are leading up to that. Maybe the person wasn't consciously aware of them, but one of the biggest ones is poor mechanical movement throughout the day, sitting all day, possibly being overweight as well, and then relying on a lot of probably isolation type exercises in the gym, or if they're going into a boot camp style thing, relying on a lot of compound movements without having the proper instruction combined with being overweight and sitting all day is definitely a recipe for disaster. So you guys remember with barbell deadlifts or barbell squats, 
It could take like multiple months to train a person how to even do that properly with just a bar, especially if you include that base conditioning portion as well in terms of having to fix their posture, get them out of that sitting position to decrease uh, sitting position at work to decrease their injuries in the gym a tremendous amount. Just that alone is probably a month, like right there, sometimes even two months if it's like, if they have a lot of pathologies going on, okay? And then you build a base conditioning program. First, mastering non-axially loaded exercises, okay? So like the primal pattern movements we talked about. They first have to be able to do like a lunge without like wobbling their body really crazy or even standing on one leg. I have people do that and majority of people can't even do that. If you can't stand on one leg, you can't do a barbell back squat. That's gonna be a disaster, okay? If you can't lunge, you shouldn't be doing a barbell back squat if you can't lunge with just your body weight, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, there's so much more to it. I'm trying to cut it down, trying to keep it entertaining for you guys, but I hope you're, you're getting the message. Integration is key. You don't have to do crazy amounts of ab exercise. It's really not necessary. If you're looking for more definition, it's all about body fat and lifestyle and how you set up and integrate your program. If that's like something you guys struggle with, of course, like reach out to me and I'll be happy to help you guys out. I'll set you up with a free assessment with my assistant and then we'll go from there. So thank you for all the useful info, injury prevention info. Yeah, no problem, Greg. Thanks for jumping in, man. George, good to see you. Akish, no problem. Okay, guys, be safe. Have a good weekend, okay? I'm gonna go just hang out and enjoy my weekend and relax, maybe read a book at night or watch a movie. And uh, it was great seeing, seeing you guys. Stay safe and, and I will see you guys next week, okay?